0: I'm not going to let parents come into schools bill. and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, to yeah, i stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach.
1: I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. That was Democrat Terry McAuliffe during a debate with his Republican rival in Virginia's governor's race, Glenn Youngkin, making what has turned into one of the epic blunders in recent American politics even if it was not exactly what he meant, McAuliffe's comments seemed to dismiss the idea that parents should be directly involved in their children's education. It's a comment that has been seized on by Youngkin's campaign, run over and over again in campaign ads, and combined with other GOP attempts to exploit the heated controversies before school boards in the COVID era, helped to turn next week's Virginia election into a down-to-the-wire toss-up. McAuliffe, who served before as the state's governor, was once expected to cruise to victory in a state that has turned increasingly blue. But now the polls show the race is effectively tied, and Democrats are nervous. If McAuliffe loses, will it be seen as a repudiation of him and his ill-advised comments about parents and schools, or will it be also viewed as a repudiation of the Democrat in the White House, Joe Biden, and an ominous warning of what could become a GOP route in next year's midterms? We'll talk to John Ward, our Yahoo News reporter who has been tracking the race, and then we'll get input from Tom Davis, a former GOP congressman from the Northern Virginia suburbs, on this episode of Skullduggery.
0: I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So So help me God. 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 I'm Michael
1: Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
2: And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. And we
1: are joined by the aforementioned John Ward. John, welcome back to Skullduggery. Hello, hello. How are you guys? We're doing great, probably better than uh, Terry McAuliffe and the Democrats on Capitol Hill are doing at the moment, but we'll we'll uh, talk that out. Look, I think a lot of us uh, have been surprised by how tight the Virginia governor's race has become in part because of that, you know, what seems to me like really egregious blunder by McAuliffe in the debate. Epic, epic, you called it, Mike. I I did call it. Yeah, I'm looking for, you know, other words so I don't keep repeating myself, you know, but there's lots of other stuff going on and um, including an incident in Loudoun County that you've been looking into, John. Just to start out, give us your overall sense of where this race stands now. And with it now looking like the Democrats in Congress are not going to pass the bipartisan hard roads and bridges infrastructure bill that McAuliffe was pleading with Pelosi to get done before next Tuesday. How much trouble is he in?
3: Wow, well, that's a lot of question, kind of like a Jason Bateman question on the Smart List podcast. podcast. Um, you know, for those I don't know if who, I should who, be who flattered listen, by that or uh, not. Y- but yeah, I, it's a reference you'd get if you listen to the podcast. But there's a lot in 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 the question, and so I think you know I would just say that I think anybody who had been following Virginia po- politics closely expected this race to be competitive, and maybe close, but I think. Maybe it's closer than close observers expected. Maybe not. I think what's made it close has been the national mood, which is both Republicans in Virginia having not won a statewide election there since 2009, and Democrats being, you know, exhausted with politics, satisfied with a lot of wins there. But also, you know, Glenn Youngkin is a a talented candidate. He's a charismatic, well-spoken politician who can legitimately cast himself as an outsider, who has a business uh, resume. So, you know, he's he's been good on the stump. I've been out to see him. He gives a good stump speech, and he's got a good campaign. So all of those things together, and then you've got the aforementioned, uh, you know, mistake by McAuliffe, who was not saying what it sounds like. Uh, he was defending a process for curriculum that— uh, is orderly and not chaotic, but you know the uh, statement a lot of people would apply to Trump could be applied to uh, the McCall statement. Don't take him literally, take him seriously. Or, or was that the that was it was sort yeah. of the uh, the phrase. And so a, a conservative is going to say, okay, well, whatever the context of his statement is, there's an attitude there that that I don't like. That's sort of what is driving, I think, a lot of the energy. Behind this issue of schools, and we can get into the Loudon issue uh, next if you want, but I don't yeah, want to let go me, on and on.
4: Actually, to, before we get to that, and actually as a kind of a segue to the Loudon issue, which which is also kind of a one of the culture war issues that have been driving this uh, this campaign, I wanted to pick up on what you said about Glenn Youngkin, you know, running a skill skillful campaign because he had his work cut out for him. On the one hand you know he yeah. he has to he has to kind of run up the numbers in rural virginia with those trump voters that kind of tribal conservative vote but at the same time he's got to overperform in the dc suburbs and appeal to independents and republicans who turned away from the party because of trump so he's got to kind of has to thread that needle and that brings me to the Loudoun County assault case, because it seems to me one of the things that he's done, and time will tell, we'll have to see the results, but uh, very cleverly is by going at those culture war, social, hot-button issues. The Loudoun County case is a stand-in for the, the you know, t- a trans issue, which you can explain, and race, you know, and the mask wars, but he's dressed it all up in this issue of schools and parenting right, which appeals to more PTA suburban. moms in the suburbs. Exactly. So yeah. talk about what he's done in the context of of those kind of culture war issues, and then specifically talk about the Loudon assault case.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, PTA moms in the suburbs are, are a lot of the voters who were turned off so much by Trump, you know, long, longtime conservative Republican voters who either didn't vote for uh, Trump in 2020 or, or actually voted for Biden. One side note I would just make, you know, about this marriage between suburban, uh, moderate Republicans and more uh, base Trump voters would be when I went to a Yunkin event a couple weeks ago, I was talking to people outside the event. It was inside. uh, Nobody was wearing masks and it was, you know, not ventilated really at all. So I was talking to people outside, people wearing masks, and I expected some of these people to be more on the fence about Yunkin and Trump and and. The Republican Party and and to a person, all of these people, even though they were concerned about going inside, one one woman said she wasn't going to go inside at all. uh, All of them were all in for Trump and, you know, talking about a stolen election in 2020. So it was just really an interesting insight into the nuance there. What's happened in Prince William is an incredibly convoluted or in Loudoun, sorry, is an incredibly convoluted, complicated... A story, with a lot of culture war touch points where the chronology has been so chopped up and weird and bizarre um, that it's actually hard to even get the facts straight, which is what I've spent the last few days doing. But essentially what it boils down to is that in May of last year, there was a, an assault in a girl's bathroom at a public school in Ashburn. And um, the father of that daughter... A couple weeks later was actually arrested at a school board meeting that had become very contentious it was a it was a school board meeting over transgender bathrooms and pronouns in the schools so that happens and then in october it comes out that the same boy who had committed the first assault which he was actually uh judged guilty by a juvenile court judge this past monday that same boy, who was 14 at the time in May, now 15, committed a second sexual assault in early October in a different school. And the father, the one same one who had been arrested, he starts going on national television. He goes on Fox News, talks about the boy having been wearing a skirt. It starts to get connected to the transgender issue. Laura Ingraham says this is a, an issue of trans people counting more than regular people, And then, you know, people start saying, you know, the government wants to silence parents because of the DOJ memo calling them, you know, and and they claim that the DOJ has called them domestic terrorists, which never happened. So all of this happens. Uh, Right wing media is in a greater and greater uproar. Ted Cruz is, uh, you know, talking about it. Josh Hawley, all these conservative politicians. And you've got this mix, like you said, of, of transgender issues of uh curriculum parents input uh and it all kind of connects to the to the mcauliffe comment about parents and input into schools now the key part of context i want to mention before we move on is that this past monday in court the victim in the first assault testified that she had had a relationship with the boy who assaulted her and that they had met in that girl's bathroom twice before that day to have a sexual encounter. We don't know the nature of the sexual encounter. But
4: consensual the first two times. It was
3: consensual the first two times. And so that third time, they again arranged to meet in the bathroom. She testified they didn't talk about sexual activity, but obviously they had arranged to meet there in the girl's bathroom Uh, apparently the boy was wearing a skirt which makes it even more confusing in a way but that's a key part of context because it tells us that this wasn't some bearded man in his 30s using the trans bathroom policy to try to sneak into uh, a bathroom
2: john all right yeah it's like that mark twain saying right you know the uh, a lie travels halfway around the world before the, the truth even gets its boots laced up and you know the story that you just told is is complicated it's it's messy. You know, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly yeah. what, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but before, y- you know, the truth even got out, this lie basically, you know, it injected uh, like a, like light, like lightning through the Virginia election. So I'm kind of, one of the things I'm kind of curious about is the architecture of the lie and the the process by which, you know, kind of, uh, Youngkin, and the Republican you know, operatives in Virginia seized upon this and, and made it happen.
3: I mean, when I first started paying attention to this was when Yunkin, about a week ago, I think it was the 19th or 20th, gave an entire speech at a, at a rally, at an evening rally in Northern Virginia, all about this issue. And then his campaign sent out a transcript of the speech So they really clearly were trying to get a lot of attention focused on this issue. And I had actually, a week or two before that, at that Yunkin event I went to, had talked to a voter who said trans people are assaulting girls in bathrooms. That was the first time it got on my radar, I guess. Uh, And then the Yunkin speech was really the one that kind of uh, got my attention. I mean, part of the efficacy of this narrative has been that a key proponent of it has been the father of this girl who's a very sympathetic figure who's made even more sympathetic by the fact that he was arrested after going to a school board meeting a couple of weeks after his daughter was assaulted, um, and, uh, arrested in a way that kind of looks like, you know, uh, the, the sheriff's deputies, if you're just looking at the video, it kind of looks like they were, uh, went a little overboard. Like maybe they didn't need to arrest. Him. All
1: right, John. All right. Let's, let's. Grant. Yes, I can tell my true. Yeah, back. yeah, the Republicans have shamelessly exploited this as they often do about a lot of things. But that said, first of all, I think we can agree that um, regardless of, of, of transgender, uh, you know, set, uh, High sc- ninth graders shouldn't be having sex in school bathrooms okay I think we could agree that's wrong schools that tolerate that should be cracking down uh, that, that shouldn't be permissible in this case the head of the school board actually denied that there was a sexual assault at a school board meeting when he was questioned about it that was clearly wrong because the guy the, the kid who did it was actually just convicted as you point out of sexual assault not a consent sexual matter. And, you know, it is totally understandable that parents under these circumstances, and adding, by the way, the the school then transfers the kid to another school where he commits another sexual assault. Allegedly, right? Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay. There's a pattern here. But my point is, One can understand why parents in Loudoun County, whose kids go to that school, are really upset with their school board and angry about how they handled this. Agreed? I think
3: I understand what you're saying. I think the context that we've just laid out about the prior relationship is very important to understand when you look at comments by that school board superintendent. I keep trying to think about what was the the context at that moment, because when he made that comment on June 22nd, they had not arrested or charged the young man who has now been arrested and basically convicted of the crime. The statement by the superintendent said we do not have any records of, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but of sexual assault. And so at that point, my understanding is that he was referring to an arrest you know, and so it was an allegation. But and don't not a, you
1: think he should have been more forthcoming when questioned about this and then and then apologized profusely when the facts came out? Don't you agree with that? John? I think I think probably maybe he could have done a better job, but I think he
3: may have been also trying to protect the victim and the accused in a situation where it was not clear. Whether or not an assault had taken place, the police were still trying to determine. Then you say, that We've got
1: a problem with sex in our bathrooms, and we're going to really work hard to make sure this never happens again, regardless of whether it's an assault or not. I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, you guys are politicizing this. You're trying to, you know, push back against Republican exploitation when you've got a real problem in those schools, in that school, and that parents have every right to be quite upset about it.
2: So if I can just interject, I think the school school superintendent thought he was answering a question about whether or not they had a problem with transgender people. Well, then he's not listening
1: to the parents who are talking to him in 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 a school board meeting. And that and that's on him.
2: I think that actually was what they were talking about during the school board meeting. No, the, whole, the whole meeting. No,
1: the question was, was there assault in the school, in the school bathroom? And there was, and he denied
2: it. Wasn't it in the context of a discussion about transgender?
1: Yes, the whole meeting was
3: about the transgender issue. Uh, the meeting was incredibly contentious. He later did apologize uh, for what he called a misleading comment, and he said he interpreted the con- the questions in the context of the larger conversation around transgender issues. So, you know, I, I think to say that we're politicizing it is a bit of a stretch. Uh, I, I think my entire approach to this is to try to understand what actually happened and then apply the facts as we know it, to the timeline as it is established, not the timeline as it has been understood in bits and pieces as as it has come out. Because that sort of misshapen uh, understanding over time has led to a narrative that has really gotten out of hand. And yeah, sex in bathrooms, not good. I'm not sure what that has to do with all of these other issues that we're talking.
4: By the about. way, John, speaking of uh, politicizing this issue, Glenn Youngkin uh, didn't even make any attempt, as far as I could tell, to conceal the fact that he was politicizing this case because he openly said, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is really having a big impact in Loudoun County. And he thinks that Repub- he as a Republican might win Loudoun County for the first time in a long time. Isn't that right?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, on Fox News on Tuesday night, he was, you know, jubilant about the political impact of this story. You know, basically saying he said, you watch, we're going to do better in northern Virginia than any Republicans done in a long time. And we might just win Loudoun, uh, Loudoun County. All right.
1: You know what? We have a guest who can give us some insight into how this is going to play in Loudoun County and the rest of northern Virginia. Congressman Tom Davis. So why don't we um, bring him in and uh, get his take on all this? Okay, we've now got with us a uh, former congressman, Republican congressman from Northern Virginia, Tom Davis. Congressman Davis, welcome to Skullduggery.
0: It's great to be here on the eve of the uh, Virginia and New Jersey elections.
1: <laughs> exactly. So let's just start out right there. We've been uh, engaged in a somewhat heated discussion about the events in Loudoun County and the whole controversy over school boards uh, that have become a big issue. But give us your take right now how this race between McAuliffe and Youngkin looks
0: to you. Well, I think every major poll that's come down uh, is, shows this thing a margin of error race. Very, very close. Um, So the question is, how do you get to turnout? What are your predictive turnout models in terms of getting to some final conclusion? Every poll shows that Republican enthusiasm is much higher than Democratic enthusiasm. And so as you come down here and you take a look at where things were six weeks ago and where they are today, I'll just look at the Christopher Newport uh, uh, a poll that came out from down nine to a one point or less than one point uh, margin for McAuliffe and the enthusiasm gap and the fact that the independents seem to be breaking for the Republican, as you would expect in this environment. It's going to be a very interesting election night. I think, you know, this is one of those days you go to the polls and uh, you're not sure exactly what's going to happen. But I always put my finger on the scale of who's got the enthusiasm factor coming out. Sometimes that can be worth quite a bit. As you go into election day but we'll know more when we see turnout
4: let me ask about you know you're obviously know virginia politics very well you've also was, were the head of the rncc so you you look at these races you know county by county in this particular race you talked about republican enthusiasm uh, and energy which suggests that he has a pretty good chance of doing well in rural areas among trump voters but the key question may be those Washington suburbs, counties like uh, Fairfax and Prince William and, and Loudoun. What does Yunkin have to do um, in those counties? I mean, what will you be looking for to know whether Republicans are going to have a good night in this race?
0: Well, I think, you know, he's got to outperform Trump by, uh, you know, up like 10 points. Arlington, Trump was like um, 18%, something like that. I mean, we got to be near 30. Uh, in, in Fairfax, you need to be over forty. Uh, in Loudoun. I think you need to be close. Trump lost it by 25 points. I think you want to keep this within five points in Loudoun. I, I think that's all doable at this point, given energy levels and the fact the fact that independents are breaking toward the Republican in every poll. You remember this, independent voters voted for Joe Biden because they didn't want Donald Trump in their living room for four more years. But they didn't vote for all this other stuff that's come with it, Afghanistan, inflation, the border, and we could go on and on. It's been a, it's been a rough nine- months for uh, the Biden administration. They still don't have COVID under control. Not all of it's their fault. But you know, when you're sitting there and you're the big guy, you, you take the hit. And I think voters are going to pump the brakes. And that's what's moved independent voters who have yeah. been flirting with the Democrats and voting Democratic for the last decade. And of course,
4: as of this recording, they also don't have an infrastructure bill. And we don't know what's going to happen, whether there'll be a vote uh, before the election or not. How big a deal is that?
0: I think uh, it's baked in the cake. I don't think it's a big deal for this race. I think it's a big deal. Look, the problem you've got when you have a party line vote like this is there's always things in this bill that are unpopular. And in these members in swing districts that vote for this on a party-line vote, it takes away from their independent entrepreneur that they like to put out to voters. So as we saw with Obamacare, as we saw with uh, the the deficit reduction bill under Clinton, this bill is going to cost the the Democrats some suburban seats. Uh, Voting for the uh, bipartisan bill, I think, is a plus. But um, I think voting for a party-line vote, because the way people receive their information, nobody's going to know what's in it, right? And so it's it's going to look like, oh, I'm just part of the Democratic crowd here. And voters are going to want to, as I said, they're going to want to put a check on the president in the midterm rather than giving him a
2: blind check. So, you know, just not too long ago in the California recall election, everyone hailed Newsom's, you know, grand strategy for winning it. And everyone was, you know, writing articles about how Newsom has written the playbook for how to win in the midterms, is the problem that McAuliffe didn't run Newsom's playbook, or is it that that playbook really just only worked in California one time?
0: Well, th- what really helped Newsom is if, if this had been a referendum on Newsom, he would have been in trouble. But he had a foil here; he had somebody that had moved to the front that had a record that just wasn't, uh, you know, consistent with where California values are, and that's what cost him. In this case, you have got Glenn Youngkin; he's not Donald Trump pretty clear he's not Donald Trump. They've tried to make him Donald Trump. I even got an email today saying, Donald Trump's coming to Virginia from the state house speaker. He's not coming to Virginia. Um, But that's, they're they're, they're running yesterday's race and uh, Youngkin is looking ahead. And I I think at the end of the day, those little things make a difference because elections tend to be about the future, but you don't have the foil that you did in California.
2: Are Republicans uh, trying to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't actually show up at a rally in Virginia?
0: Um, well, he's not coming to Virginia. That's all I know. I, I will, you know, I, I'll leave it. You can can never,
1: look, you can never predict what Donald Trump might do. You know, yeah, you know. Yeah, he exactly. may just show up, whether <laughs> regardless of whether he tells you in advance and an I mean, uh, email, right? Well, look,
2: but this—I guess what I'm curious about is whether or not it's part of the, you know, Youngkin's strategy and the Republican Party and Virginia's strategy to keep Trump away.
0: Well, you have to ask them what the strategy is at this point. I think uh, the I, th- I think Glenn is that he's happy to have uh, the former president's support at this point, uh, but he thinks this is a Virginia race. He has not bring all bring uh, brought in all the celebrities that McAuliffe has done, which is kind of ironic, considering Glenn's been the unknown and, and McAuliffe's the governor who ought to be running on his record. But it tells you where their campaign is. But that's exactly the tightrope that he's walking here. I mean, he needs that
1: Trump base in rural Virginia. So he's got to play footsie with Trump. And, you know, he had Trump call in to one of his rallies. You know, that plays well with the Trump base, but it doesn't play. He was
0: not at that rally. In fairness, in fairness, he did not attend that rally where Trump called in. That was done by one of the candidates he defeated for the nomination. Having said that, no, we're not. Look, we haven't won a statewide race in twelve years. We're not going to repudiate anybody's support, Mike. We'll take your support. I mean, we're just not in <laughs> yeah. a
1: position to keep anybody out. Well, of you won't get mine,
0: but yeah, yeah. and it wouldn't it, help and, you
1: and if
2: Trump you Trump did. A, but a, you're not Trump registered states. in Virginia, so. But yeah. but
1: look, I, but but this does get to a serious and larger issue for your party here, right? Because Mm -hmm. you want you as the moderate guy from Northern Virginia who was there for years, you know, wants to move away from Trump. Your former constituents uh, clearly repudiated him in the last election. And uh, any taint of Trumpism is a a negative in Northern Virginia, which uh, is key, going to be key uh, in this race. And more largely, you've got a House Republican caucus that still has strong allegiances to a former president, uh, uh, most of the rest of the country views as out of his mind. How does Youngkin and how do your fellow Republicans navigate this minefield of the Trump base on the one hand and, you know, all those suburban voters
0: you lost because of Donald Trump? Well, I think every candidate's got to make their own determination. How, how they handled this. Uh, it, look, I had to win election in 1994 with Oliver North at the top of the ticket. And it was just me and North, and I was taking a Democratic incumbent on. You know what North got in my district? He got 29%. I got 54%. Uh, I ran w- way ahead of him. I ran, I ran 25 points uh, a- a- ahead of North, and I didn't diss him. Now, when he came to Northern Virginia, you couldn't find me with a search warrant. But I, you know we agreed on a lot of issues, we have shared a lot of the same supporters, but we were very different in style and temperament and, and priorities. The question is, Donald Trump, if you put up a Trump sign in my neighborhood in Fairfax, it's a hate crime, okay? But you go out 50 miles, people are making their own Trump signs. It, it shows how divided the country is. The pro- and, and nationally, it's very split. But in, in Virginia, uh, we know what's happened. Trump has lost it to twice, and he's, he is not an asset in a race like this on a statewide basis, making him the center of the campaign. I think Donald Trump understands that. And I I think Glenn Young understands that. And more importantly, uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe understands that because they put signs in Florida kind of daring him to come to Virginia. And I said, I got a a note from the state house speaker, a Democrat today saying, Donald Trump's coming to Virginia. They want to run against Donald Trump. And I think voters in, in Virginia are by and large looking ahead, not behind. They don't want to relitigate the past. They want to look ahead Elections are about the future, and I think at the end of the day, that Gun has handled this very, very well. You got to win the governorship, and then we'll deal with the other issues.
4: Let me just ask one, one quick follow-up on that, which is they're running against. You want to run in the future, not the on the future, not the past. I know we're still a year away from the midterm elections, but after that, Donald Trump is going to decide whether to run or not in 2024. Right. And uh, let's say you're head of the, you, you have your old position as he- head of the RNCC and uh, Donald Trump uh, decides he's going to run. How much of a disaster is that for you uh, heading into the 2024 elections if he does run? Because then you can't run away from Donald Trump, right?
0: Well, no, well, not only that, we don't know what the world is going to look like in 2024. But I will tell you this uh, Joe Biden has not been any prize. When you take a look at his, his numbers are underwater, and uh, people didn't vote for what he's doing. He has misread his mandate. Uh, he was going to govern from the middle. He was gonna, he, he's just trying to put his party together, let alone reaching across the aisle. I don't know. I mean, Donald Trump could come, come back and win in 2024 if Biden continues to perform uh, the way that he has. Would you, su- would you
1: support him if he does run in 2024?
0: Well, uh, probably not for the nomination, Mike. I think that's fair to say. But you would but vote he, for him uh, in a general? Against Joe Biden? I yeah. vote for you against Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a
1: bridge too far. <laughs> that, that'll really get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. I think
4: uh, John uh, Ward has been uh, sitting here patiently and has a question.
3: Well, no, I was just I was kind of going to ask a variation of the question that Mike and Dan asked. But I, I think, you know, the the thing I'm interested in is whether, Congressman, you see any signs in the Republican Party from either Mike Pence or Nikki Haley or somewhat Chris Christie, obviously, Chris Christie's been the most sort of confrontational towards Trump. But I have sensed from Pence, and a little less so from Haley, some desire to chart their own course. Do you see any chances of success inside the Republican Party for any of those alternatives
0: to Trump? So I've been around politics a long time, John, I I worked in the Nixon White House for Harry Dent, who was the Southern strategist, uh, when they were formulating this. This was post-voting rights when the South was realigning. i watched a lot of elections and I will tell you this, three years is an eternity in this business. We have no idea what the world is going to look like a year from now, two years from now, three years. There's no question right now, and I don't mean this uh, disparaging. I mean, Trump is the 800-pound gorilla. I'm not calling him a monkey. I'm just trying to use the baddest. Trump right now is, is, is the face of the Republican Party to many Republicans. But over time, new people emerge, new issues emerge. I don't know what's going on in his mind. He will certainly be an influencer on what happens at this point. But I'm not willing to concede uh, one way or the other what happens, and even if he's nominated, whether he can win or not, I, I think it's going to be a very, very different world at this at that point, and it's it's impossible to tell you. You know my politics. I was John Kasich state chairman in Virginia, okay. But uh, but my economics are decidedly Republican at this point, and I think uh, Democrats are taking us in a bad direction, and um, you, you know I, I just don't know what it's going to look like. This will be litigated in 50 states. Over the next year, in primaries uh, for Congress next year, for members who voted to impeach Trump, for Trump endorsements like in North Carolina for Ted Butt, can he win? You know, what, what's going to happen? I think it's going to be the face of the party over the next two years it will change, and uh, Trump will be an influencer on that. We'll see what he wants to do and where the party wants to go at that point. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion if that's what you're saying.
3: Well, I mean, it sounds like it's an air out of the balloon strategy or not, maybe not a strategy, an expectation of air kind of going out of the balloon rather than a direct confrontation with him. I am a little surprised you would support him for the presidency in 24. I mean, what? given all of the restraints he got rid of in the latter portions of his presidency well, and what that me a, led up
0: you're, to you're, you're with giving january 6th you're giving me a choice with joe biden who, look i represent a company that, still, that that had
3: joe biden is the last i checked joe biden hasn't incited an insurrection
0: no but he's he has he has blown afghanistan where we had uh, 20 years spent trillions of dollars lost lives well, you, you've got to look at what's happened at the border with a million people crossing the border at this time. You look at the regulatory agencies. There's a whole regime there. And I think this will sort itself out you know, over the next uh, three years. I'm, uh, and, and I just think that where the administration is going, where the Congress is going is the wrong direction. And we'll just see where it comes down. We'll see where it comes down. Before you came
1: on, we were having a somewhat spirited discussion about uh, Loudoun County and what's been going on in the schools there. And on the one hand, um, clearly there's uh, reasons for parents to be, uh, or some parents to be quite upset about the uh, sexual assault that did take place uh, in a school bathroom. On the other hand, you know, Republicans have exploited this and turned it into much more than the facts uh, show, you know, it's not clear that this was a transgender issue uh, or related in any way to transgender bathrooms. What is your take on what happened in Loudoun County and what's been the political impact of it in this race?
0: Well, what it has done is you they, it's kicked a hornet's nest of people that have not have been kind of have not dominated the politics, have not been active and they're out there and they're very very active. And wherever you get an energy base like that, you know, it, it I think it is helpful uh, to, to to your outcomes. Now let's just take a look at the schools. It's not just the transgender issue. It's the fact that kids were reading from screens for a year and people are frustrated with public schools across the country. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying there's a huge frustration with parents in terms of what has happened to public education over, over the last year and a half. And um, so I think we're probably gonna be able to take advantage of that. And then you put together that the circuit court judges ruling against a school district that ignored this because somebody was transgender and kind of gave somebody a pass because they were afraid of offending somebody and a, and a girl gets raped. You know, that's explosive. There was a court ruling, you're saying, yeah, the court the court the court ruled uh, against the, the perpetrator at this point.
1: Well, right a, a for the first that, incident. The, that, that the that yeah, the yeah, that the kid did yeah. in fact
0: assault the That um, he did after the school said they didn't know anything about right, it. Right, right. Yeah. That's explosive. Uh, but, but there's but there's pent up frustration on schools for other reasons, and that is kids have been home for a year reading from screens and everything else. And, you know, is this the teachers union? You've had parents who want to go back to school. You've got a mask issue. I'm not sure anybody handles this to everybody's satisfaction. It's, it's, but but what it does is it just creates, if you will, a lot of anxiety among parents. And I think Republicans not holding any of the positions of accountability in this case are uh, able to stir it up. Does that make sense?
2: I want to turn to another issue that sort of is brewing in Virginia, which is the kind of safety and security of the election system. And it seems like, you know, some of the there's been reports of a surge of election observers kind of going to the polls and possibly creating slightly intimidating, you know, kind of atmosphere around polls. Do you think that Virginia elections are securely and properly run?
0: Well, I I do think the legislature made some changes this last time that troubled me. They took away photo ID, which I think, you know, you have to go if you want to go on an airplane, if you want to go get a prescription drug. There's a lot of things that they took away at this point that make what I call ballot harvesting a lot easier. In Fairfax County, the Board of Supervisors uh, uh, requested the electoral board mail ballots to everybody. When you you have a lot of ballots sitting out there mailed to houses, I think there is an opportunity for fraud and, and for disarray. But I think, by and large, Virginia, elections have been done pretty well. I've been part of several recounts, one for the attorney General, general's race just a few years ago uh, that, that was narrowly margin. Uh, so is, is it a concern? Absolutely, it's a concern. Whenever you start dumbing down the standards uh, for voting, let me just add another thing. Why, if you move a 45-day election day, what, when did we ever have a 45-day election day before? You move it from 45 days to 30 days and it's voter suppression. Stacey Abrams has still not uh, acknowledged that she lost the governor's election. If they had the highest off-year turnout in history, if that was voter suppression, uh, it wasn't a very good job because people found a way to vote and independent studies basically showed that this stuff there's the voter fraud is overexaggerating voter suppression are over so
2: but let's let's go back to Virginia for a moment. You 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 pointed out that you know Virginia has, has changed some of the rules regarding voter ID and regarding access to absentee ballots. Do you think that when the election is called on next Tuesday night or Wednesday night that Youngkin will concede the results or will is he going to fight sure it? Uh,
0: no unless it's like you know two thousand votes or something like that and you go through the recount. Uh, you know, at that point, I, I don't have any question that he'll do that.
2: So you, you basically anticipate that election administrators in Virginia are kind of fair and, 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 and truthful a, and not trying to commit mass yeah, fraud people, or anything.
0: Pe- people out there trying to do their job. And I think people that, that claim that Trump is so still on, I, I think they're off base on this. He had all of his appeals to the courts. He exhausted his appeals. If we can't acknowledge the courts, uh, you know, to be the final arbitrator on that. Look, the person you look at is Al Gore. If anybody had a right to complain, it was Al Gore, right? Uh, losing a five to four case at the Supreme Court. And you know, you know all about that. And he walked away and said he was, he was a good loser. He did what was right for the country. Nixon did the same thing in 1960. And they weren't sore losers. And I think that the, the fact that Trump walked away from this basically a sore loser, to trying to, to tell people this was stolen when they're, they haven't been able to prove it. They've been able to allege it. I think it's wrong, and I think it really hurts his legacy.
4: Congressman, if uh, Glenn Youngkin wins this race, what do you think the political the impact is going to be nationally and, and for Democrats?
0: Well, if I were a suburban Democrat sitting in suburban Detroit, for example, uh, where they have a couple seats that they won by, I think, a total, you know, four points or something like that, and you're sitting there voting for Pelosi and Biden on this, uh, I think they're to—they're writing their own obituaries. Look, you've I talked, talked to one Democratic member. I said, look, I, was, I lived my life in Democratic territory, and I always had some votes that separated me from the party where I could point to showing people I was my own person. I was representing them, not a political party. And she said, well, Nancy won't give me any. I said, well, Nancy doesn't elect you. You've got to step up and uh, and be able to take some difficult votes. And I think voting for this big package that they come if if they come up with it is going to be a death knell for some of these. Just like voting for Obamacare, there's nothing wrong if if you think it's the right thing. It's just not politically very smart.
1: And if Youngkin does win, does he immediately start getting mentioned by the great mentioners as a uh, possible candidate for president in 2024?
0: Well, the great mentioners uh, mention a lot of people, so (laughs) anything's thrown into the mix. But I think Glenn is, you know, look, he turned down over $100 million in stock options to run this time, that he really has been successful in his business life, and he really wants to do something for the state. So I think that's going to be his focus at this point. You can't stop what the talking heads talk about. You just have to ignore it.
1: Yeah. Well, the talking heads can often influence what's in one's head um, when they're talking no, about you.
0: Virginia, so right? there,
1: there is uh, there is that. Uh, anyway, Congressman, I want to thank you for sharing your insights. Um, we'll want to come back to you uh, to, to see how things uh, play out. Wait, and, let me
0: just on yeah. me. You didn't talk about the legislature. Which is 55 45 Democratic right now. But that's also uh, on the bubble in a switch of like 5,200 votes last time that would have gone to the Republicans. So that is on the bubble. They are running in their old districts because they haven't been able to, because the census was so late, they haven't been able to come up with the uh, one person, one vote. Uh, at this point. But you also need to watch that as an indication of where the electorate is. going. Well, I was I just, just thinking,
1: if, if the Republicans take back the legislature, the shockwaves will be even more shocking, I think, uh, yeah. across well, I the think country. That, yeah, I just yeah. think
0: in, in midterms in general, I don't mean this personal to, to, to Biden, because I, you know, I think he's doing the best he can do, He just have some really bad results right now, um, is that voters tend to put a check on the president rather than giving them a blank check. It's not an endorsement of Republican policies. It's just that that's the only check they get. And I think we're going to see that exercise next Tuesday. I mean, I'll be smarter, uh, you know, a week from now. And, and putting your last <laughs> <Okay>. question, putting <laughs> your,
4: your RNCC uh, cap back on, um, you mentioned New Jersey at, at the outset. Do you think the Republican candidate there, Ch- what's his name, Chitterelli? Mm-hmm. something close to that, do you, think, do you think he has any chance of, uh, of uh, beating Phil Murphy?
0: Well, the last two or three polls I've seen show Murphy right at or right under 50%. So in theory, if I'm an incumbent going to election day with less than 50%, and they've both taken, there's not a huge financial edge for Murphy because they all took the matching money up there. But New Jersey's tougher. It's a, it's a really a union state. It's a much tougher demographic. But, you know, if I if I walked into an election under 50 percent, I'm always a little nervous. But I think people have generally thought that would be that wouldn't just be a shocker. That would that would blow up everything at this
4: thermonuclear
0: way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's going to be closer to nine points. I think it's going to be closer to nine. Yeah.
3: Just, Mike, real quick to echo Tom's point about a check on the president. Everybody talks about the Republicans not having won in Virginia statewide since 2009. But. The alternative sort of historical fact here that I know Tom is aware of is that uh, you know b- until Terry McAuliffe won the governorship in 2013, uh, the party out of power in the White House had won the governorship every time for like 40 years. So if Yunkin wins, it'll be a return to the
0: norm of that pattern. And John, let me just interject on that. But the one thing you need to remember: why it was 2013 different? It was different because you had a very fractured Republican Party. Remember, the Republican lieutenant governor wouldn't endorse uh, Cuccinelli. You had some major Republican defections. McAuliffe had a two to one spending advantage. You had a government shutdown and you had a libertarian candidate uh, taking 160,000 votes, uh, the, the bulk of which came out of, uh, of Cuccinelli's high. It was a rejection of of a harder right uh, regime. Yeah. I think if Bill Bowling been the nominee, who was the lieutenant governor, I think he would have won. All right.
1: Congressman, thanks for joining us. Hey, we'll definitely want to, to have you. you back.
0: All right, I'm going up to the beach. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Excellent. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right. Thanks, Congressman. Enjoy. Thanks. Take care. Bye.